Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 3E of From Claremont to Claremont, an X-Men podcast. Uh, this time our segment will be all about Excalibur, and it's an Excalibur double feature. Uh, there were two Excalibur stories that came out with a December 1991 cover date, and those were Excalibur number 45 and a uh, one-shot special edition uh, with even little spine that you could put on your bookshelf, Excalibur Heir Apparent. And as usual, I'll be joined by my pal Jesse Starcher to go through uh, all the Excalibur silliness, and uh, we had a really good time going through these issues here. Uh, that Heir Apparent is uh, it's something else. It's very, very strange, and I uh, look forward to you all hearing our discussion on that. Uh, once the comic stuff is out of the way, Jesse will then share with us his soundtrack of his life, and it's a it's a really really good conversation that I hope everyone listening really really enjoys because I know I enjoyed being a part of it as well. Now, if anybody would like to get a hold of me or the show, please feel free. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter or Weird Comics History at Gmail dot com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris's on Infinite Earths dot com, and you can talk with us on Facebook at Nineties X Men Nine Zero S. X-Men, no hyphen. Um, and of course, I mean, you're listening to the show, so you know where to find it. But in case you don't, chrisandreggie.podbean.com is where everything is. Now, please let me know if you're enjoying these uh, From Claremont to Claremont uh, episodes in segment form rather than in, you know, the big huge gulp. Because uh, I have gotten a little bit of interest, and by a little bit of an interest, I mean one guy asked me if I would mind uh, breaking up the uh, first two episodes of the show and releasing them as single segments, kind of like I'm doing here, because it's, uh, I guess, it's easier to digest. So I'm going to put a pin in that for now, but just uh, if you're listening and if you care one way or another, please, please feel free to let me know. Again, Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. Uh, that's all I got to say for now. I'm going to send it over to the music, and then uh, Jesse and I will have a wonderful conversation about two very strange issues of Excalibur. See ya. Alrighty, it's time to discuss Excalibur. This is Excalibur number 45. Just like everything else we're discussing today, it has a December 1991 cover date. I am once again joined by our good friend Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? Oh, man. I tell you what, Chris Sheehan, it is great to be back here for this. This is the third episode, right? Third? It is. Okay, good. I haven't missed any. All right. I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I am glad to be back here talking some Excalibur once again. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, uh, as we've mentioned the past couple times, this has been a much more fun book than uh, either of us remembered. So mm-hmm. uh, this issue, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see if that keeps up the trend here. This issue is called Nightcrawler's TechNet, written and drawn by Alan Davis, with inks by Mark Farmer, letters by Michael Heisler, colors by Glynis Oliver, edits Terry Cavanaugh, Tom DeFalco is the chief. $1.75 USD, $2.15 Canadian, 95 p in the U.K., According to Mike's Amazing World, this had a release date of October 1st, 1991. And uh, we get right into it here. Uh, the, the cover is sort of um, reminiscent of Giant Size X-Men number one. Where yeah. you have uh, like the new team bursting through the old team. Except they didn't quite like nail the landing here. They didn't do a team in the background. Like, yeah. I was expecting like a, like a 
like a nice little pastiche of uh, Excalibur number one with just the team bursting through that. But we do get bursting. Uh, yes, we is... do. It is, it is bursting. Joy Boy is bursting. And oh boy. I, I mean, ah, we, we, this is a crazy group of characters on the front of a comic book, especially mm-hmm. an Excalibur comic book. <clears throat> I know when I was younger, if I would have seen this on the shelf, I would have been like, oh, here comes a new team. What is this going to be? I, this actually probably <laughs> would have grabbed my attention and made me want to gra- get it off the shelf. Uh, oh, for sure. I, I, I would have had no idea what I was in for back then. Oh, no. And even after reading it, you'd be like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this team is, uh, of course, Nightcrawler's TechNet. And uh, we, we bust this thing open here. And uh, you remember how last month or well, last episode, all those many months ago, uh, Nightcrawler was visited by Commander Thomas and then that, that weirdo clairvoyant lady who was really into stroking his fur. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, was, she couldn't get enough of that uh, blue velvet. Yeah, she liked rubbing it against the grain. And uh, now it's here that we learn what that visit was all about. Well, kind of. We kind of learn. You see, there's this invisible thief out there stealing artwork and artifacts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, we've already had a run in with this baddie, sort of, kind of, because also, if you remember, and I can't blame you if you don't, last issue, Rachel had a pop in on Offa's Antiques as the place was being burgled. And same same character here, same creature. Now, to aid in this endeavor, Nightcrawler has enlisted Excalibur's current well-meaning but oft-clumsy tenants, the TechNet. Ah, yes, this team from, oh my goodness, I can't remember what Earth it was. Are they they straight from one specific Earth? Do you remember off the top of your head, or are they uh, uh, cobbled together? I can't remember. I just know that they, their training sessions are quite interesting because they just, flat out fight each other and that's it mm-hmm. i mean that's it yeah uh and so yeah we're we get nightcrawler bringing TechNet into this this is going to be interesting yeah and i i'm trying to remember off the top of my head where i don't know if they're just i don't think they're otherworlders i know they they because like gatecrasher was their leader and uh she reported to saturnine and Saturnine's another worlder. So oh, maybe- I say okay. Well, I say otherworlders. I guess I should say from a different, uh, different Marvel universe. How's that? Because I know they're. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not six one six related. I don't like they think were so. On a, yeah. Okay. They were on a mission to bring back Rachel at one Phoenix, point. Yeah. Yeah. And then and now of course uh, it wasn't Gatecrasher. Gatecrasher's left. She got booted, and yeah. She, yes, she did. So, and here we have these guys left, and and Nightcrawler is Nightcrawler. Don't forget, he's kind of out of action here. He's got a bit of a, he's got a broken <laughs> leg thanks yep. to Brian Braddock here who uh, tossed him, uh, hit him right in the old femur, and that's a that's a bone you don't want to break. No, no, that one takes a while to heal, and I think it actually heals here in about four days. So, oh, <laughs> that's, that's that's comics. That's a good thing. Um, now, we actually get a much-needed TechNet roll call here. So uh, this time out, we can skip the visit to the Marvel Wiki. You know, there, it's all right here. Now, as a refresher, we have Waxworks, and uh, it's uh, like this orange mound of tentacle with, with tentacles instead of arms. At, I thought it was a stake at first. I thought it was a stake <laughs> with legs. It looks kind of like a stake. <laughs> and a ribeye <laughs> on its way through, and it's part of a team. Great. All right, Waxworks. Yes, and it has like a like a... Like almost a jewel, but maybe maybe it's just grizzle from the steak. Like think. this shiny, sort of eyeball facey thing. Yeah. Um, he's not pleasant to look at. Mm-mm. 
Um, we also have Ring Toss, who looks kind of like a like Pepsi Man after he came out of the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody gets a Pepsi Man reference. I hope so too. My goodness. Uh, we have Body Bag, which is that bloated green dragon we met. Um, That's right. China Doll is that silver starfire from the Teen Titans looking girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scatterbrain is the one who was like sucking on uh, Captain Britain's negativity last time, uh, dressed like an aerobics instructor. Um, Thug is like the one I always think about when it comes to TechNet. Just this like generic squat green skin guy looks toadish a bit. Yeah, he's he's a battle toad. Yes, he is the battle. That's what we call him. <laughs> uh, Pharaoh is the furry one. Yes, that's about it. And of or course, arm. he does. Yes, and of course. There's Joy Boy. Ah, the bulbous Joy Boy. And contra, you know, here's the thing, all right? They kind of spoiled it with the cover. Everybody's in their in-men uniforms. But I honestly think that they thought, well, I don't think we can get away with putting a naked baby on the front of a Marvel comic. Uh, So (laughs) that's why they had to put the in-men suits on them. But uh, most likely that's not because that 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 develops as we go through the story. But, yes, the bulbous joy boy, my favorite, not so favorite character. <laughs> the uh, the the uh, what is it? The sensational character find of whatever year he first. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> no, they're staked out at the major main wearing museum at Warmington on Sea, England. And uh, they're waiting to see if the thief who the clairvoyant Amelia Witherspoon has predicted will strike will strike. Hmm. Now, upon sensing a disturbance, Nightcrawler, as mentioned, on crutches, sends his team into battle. And then uh, with a panel full of sound effects, like a bunch of, it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. That is a lot. Yeah, they they really, really got their money's worth with these sound effects. (laughs) Uh, We can see that when the dust settles, the TechNet have tackled our new pal, Micromax. Ah, the Nexus wannabe. So this guy. uh, He sucks. uh, Yeah, he's a jerk. (laughs) He's a jerk all over. Yes. A jerk all over. So he's he's taking this place out as well. It's, it's which is weird because we don't know exactly like how. I mean, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, now Micromax shows Kurt his identification, which recognizes him as a member or signifies him as a member of FI6. Um, I guess that's probably like a, is it MI6 or MI6? Yeah, something? I think it's MI. Yeah, it's, it's MI6, which is the British equivalent, I believe, mm. of the Secret Service. I, I can't remember. I'm totally going off the top of my head. So somebody out there will make sure that we know about that one. Sure, sure. And, I, and I'm sure it's something in that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, and he claims to be on the same case as Nightcrawler and and the you know his goofy friends, uh, only on a more federal level, you know, because mm-hmm. Nightcrawler is dealing with a local municipality and uh, Max is dealing with a federal. Yeah. Right? Here come the feds. There they come, and naturally an argument ensues. And uh, this argument is thankfully cut short, but unthankfully it's because the suits are there and they get involved. Um, so for whatever reason, the FI six folks, as well as commander Thomas, they're just there. So I, it's like, what's the point of a stakeout if everyone's just there? <laughs> They've all been hanging out in the back, man. Yeah. Just waiting, just waiting to see if, uh, see if, uh, oh, uh, Micromax can nab the man, I guess. And, or if, uh, the in men or Nightcrawler and his cadre can have, take care of him. Yeah, is this like, like old school wrestling where they have like the, the baby face locker room and the heel locker room and they're just like, <laughs> both groups are in their own little room watching. Yep. And out they come. Yep. <laughs> Now, Nightcrawler quickly realizes that this debate falls far above his pay grade, and so he and TechNet, they, they, they skidoo, they leave. Yeah, 
I love how Nightcrawler's like, I'm out, we're yep. out. There's, uh, you know, I don't need to hear these guys talking about who's got jurisdiction over yep. what. I mean, he, I remember they call it specifically uh, political posturing, and it turns out that piecing out is all I want to do whenever I get on Facebook. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we shift scenes to Otherworld here, where uh, last time we were here, Brian Braddock uh, was uh, found guilty. Uh, so we, we jump right in here, and Captain Britain and his attorney, Captain UK of Earth-839, they're being absolutely dogpiled by the rest of the Captain Britain Corps. Yeah, dude, this is, I mean, they are, I, it's two against like a million here. Yeah. It's not It's not good odds, and I don't know how they're going to pull this off, uh, and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty scary. But I do want to point out, as I pointed out on the... Uh, from Claremont to Claremont Facebook page earlier today that there's one person I looked for and did not see throwing the old fisticuffs, and that's Brother Britman. Oh, the hippie. <laughs> he is nowhere to be <laughs> He's found. There. I also, I jumped into some uh, a wiki rabbit hole, was looking up, okay, what other appearances did Brother B- Britman have? Is he ever going to show up again? Uh, it turns out he has three appearances. One was in issue 44 of Excalibur. Mm-hmm. He shows up in X-Men Die by the Sword in 2007, which is a story I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. But when I looked it up, it apparently has the Exiles in it, and that immediately grabbed my attention. Okay. Uh, so, and, and he died, apparently, in that uh, issue, in that story as well. But then, in 2012, he showed back up in Uncanny X-Force number 19. So, Brother Britman, we love you, buddy. <laughs> oh, I, I do remember it. Yes, I do remember that Uncanny X-Force. That was right around the time they did the Regenesis um, launch. Yes, that was mentioned. That was mentioned. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they changed the uh, they changed the, the trade dress where everything was like ca- kind of more like curvy bubble letters instead of the classic yes. sort of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, titles. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's not surprising that he came back. Uh, it, you know, we don't have rules anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no. There, I, I was like, they're not going to go in depth as to why Brother Britman is still alive anyway. <laughs> we need okay, a no prize fine. for that. Give me a no prize. <laughs> it's uh, right now. If if you're reading current uh, current year X Men books, they're literally like growing dead characters in in like test tubes. They're growing oh. them back. It's okay. There are the. I'm hoping that this is like all leading to something, but right now the stakes could not be lower. So. Uh, all right then. Yeah, no surprise that people just keep popping back. But uh, <laughs> but uh, Britain and UK, they they look like you know a couple of uh like a couple of lambs that were thrown into the lion cage here. It's they're being just totally uh, dogpiled and uh, delved upon. And uh, like we mentioned last issue, uh, Brian was just found guilty of all of his crimes against uh, the time stream or something. And uh, boy, that was a very long list of crimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was. Now the the penalty, if you if you recall, it was death, and the core is in the process of carrying that sentence out. Suddenly, however, the ta 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 tooting of a horn sounds, and this signals the arrival of our Veronica Lake lookalike, Majestic's uh-huh. Opal Opal Lupa Opal Luna Saturnine. Mm. Yeah, I I I figure like this looks just like Veronica Lake, you know. <laughs> very, very I agree. Weird. I agree. <laughs> Uh, now she comes with a message from Roma herself, and uh, at the end of this, Brian Braddock is once again a free man. And uh, the core it was close to getting his butt whooped, oh, really yeah. close. Absolutely. Now the core ain't digging this one bit. To which Saturnine basically dares them to challenge her, and uh, they do not. Nope. Which is they, probably smart. 
they get right in line are like, nope, we do not question anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Your word is good. Mm-hmm. Um, now a free fella, Brian br- rushes up to Saturnine to thank her for stepping in. She assures him that it ain't no thing, and it wasn't even her decision in the first place. She even comments that she's not sure why Roma cares one way or another about Mr. Braddock. Uh, and neither do we. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, once Ms. Lake is out of the panel, Captain UK suggests that she and Brian take a walk and get some air. Some air, yep. They just about got killed. It's better mm-hmm. to go out and let's, uh, let's take in nature for a few minutes and be thankful. That's the way you do it. Uh, We hop back to the 616 and we rejoin Nightcrawler, Technet, Thomas, and Witherspoon in the basement of the new-look Excalibur lighthouse. Now, the next stop for this phantom art thief looks to be the Broom Art Gallery, which will occur in four days. Uh, Nightcrawler posits that this creature is very likely the the one and the same as the one that Rachel confronted last issue at office. Uh, Now, Thomas wonders if Kurt might be able to get some confirmation on that to which we learn Rachel hasn't been seen nor heard from in over a week at this point. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was going to lead to a segue. Like uh, I watch a lot of soap operas where they'd make a comment like this. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, uh, we haven't heard from Rachel. And then the, here's the, Rachel. Dun, dun, here's <laughs> Rachel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now uh, once alone with his team, Nightcrawler brainstorms ways of making them more effective in the field. And he looks at them and he only sees goofballs and comic relief. Yeah, well, so do I. Um, and <laughs> I just want to pop in real quick sure. as 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 poor numbers. Numbers is oh the accountant, the, yes, yeah, the accountant, and with the crush on Lockheed. Kurt gets like in his face because numbers says you know something like, "Hey, can you guys keep it down?" Because TechNet, by the way, is training once again, and the decibel level uh, of their fighting has reached uncomfortable uncomfortable uh, i guess levels for lockheed who i now i don't want to say that lockheed is pregnant but we did see <laughs> what was going on and i think it was the previous issue or it the was. issue before uh and she is lockheed is experiencing audio sensitivity so numbers you know he feels for this poor dragon slash love and he says mm-hmm. something to kurt and kurt's like you want to step in here? You got anything to offer to the team? He's like, no, wait a second. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> and I was like, ah, numbers. That's the way to do it, buddy. And I, I wonder if numbers got the, the, the Lockheed of Earth, whatever the hell, uh, pregnant. I'm, I, I, I Look, you might I don't know right. what's happening. I don't know what's going to be happening in the future of this book. But if we get a numbers Lockheed baby, oh, I'm, <laughs> I, that would be perfect. Okay? It'd be perfect for me. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure, that would be a a banner issue for sure. Uh, oh, I'd be I'd shudder to think what that thing's gonna look like. Joy boy. Oh, um, wait a second. <laughs> it's uh, it's Nathan Summers all over again. Joy boy has come back from the future. Oh, that's it. Yeah, uh, they'll, it'll get a techno organic virus. <laughs> just just stop us while we're ahead, folks. Yes. Uh, now, as, as Kurt's looking at the team and he sees, you know, that they are very sloppy and slappy, uh, we get a like a weird little somber bit of self-narrative here. And uh, Kurt wonders if this might be how the rest of the X-Men viewed him back in the long ago, mm. which, uh, I mean, he was always the, uh, you know, like the heart and soul of the team trying to keep people happy and positive. So, I mean, it's not too far of a it's not too much of a stretch to, to yeah. consider. What I liked about this was I, I looked. I looked at it at a, uh, I guess, at a different light. Hmm. You know, a, a lot of 
what Kurt was seeing in this dysfunctional band of of teammates was mm. that they they couldn't gel together in order to get a mission completed and he obviously saw that's probably what happened to him back mm. in the past and he said to himself you know we need an identity yes we need something because that is you know his reflection with what he experienced with Charles Xavier is definitely at least leading him in the right direction to try and get TechNet of all people, TechNet mm-hmm. of all people, uh, to become a team that fights for good. For sure. Um, so it, yeah, and and you know yeah he he was the heart and soul of the team at one point for the mm-hmm. X Men, and uh, you know I remember when Excalibur first came out, and you know you can. Say what you will about me. I, I was into the most of the X books, but Excalibur was not one of the ones I was going to pick up. Sure. Uh, and I hated the fact that Nightcrawler went over to Excalibur. I felt like that was almost like a little bit of a betrayal for me because I <laughs> wanted him to be in the X-Men. Yep. Um, and I but seeing his character arc here and these issues is pretty cool to see him actually take on the role of trying to be a leader just in this issue. Sure. Uh, and, and then and probably in the next but it, it's really it's really neat to watch that evolve so oh yeah there's definitely a growth there and it's it's funny because i i only got into the x-men one nightcrawler was already gone so oh yeah so like when he uh because he kitty and colossus would come back to the x-men probably around 1998 1999 mm-hmm. and it felt so weird to have them there when, because uh, I, I mean, I, I talked to to people who were fans from you know the Claremont days, and and they were just like, oh, you know, it's great that they're back, and I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right that they're here, you know. <laughs> I guess it depends on where you start, then. I guess. It's very, very weird, but uh, but you know, now having gone back and have you know devoured you know everything, I could totally see where you're coming from. It does feel there his his absence is definitely felt. Uh, in the on the X-Men team with mm-hmm. him being elsewhere. But uh, like you mentioned here, he is looking to define an identity for this team to kind of bind them, make them a workable unit uh, that can play off each other in, uh, in, you know, and be successful in the field. But uh, from here, we jump back to Otherworld. And uh, Captains Britain and UK are stood atop a cliff looking at a swirly matrix in the sky. Now, uh, UK, or Linda, she reveals that these are weak spots in the fabric of space across the multiverse. And uh, she kind of razzes Brian a, a bit for not knowing, and uh, also for <laughs> skipping out on his core training lectures. So, Now, I don't know the... I don't know the origin, or ha- nor have I read, like, the beginnings of Captain mm-hmm. Britain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if I could even picture a comic book where Captain Britain is sitting down behind a desk... Taking no. lectures, <laughs> and I'm like, this happened. He was, he was. That was part of the. I, I, maybe it is part of the core training. I have no idea, but I just remember reading this and thinking, you know, I, I, I don't know if that would actually be something that I could even see the cores having. But I guess if you're going to be a core member, you probably have to go some, through some training and some uh, classes. Yeah, you, you need a you need a kilowog to to push you through. Exactly. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, the Captain Britain, he's always kind of been at odds with the core, sort of. Um, there are some uh, really, really great uh, uh, stories uh, from Alan Moore. Alan Moore wrote a, a really, really incredible run of Captain Britain. Um, he, that's where they established that Marvel Earth is the 616. Uh, okay. So that, all right. that all stems from there. Um, there's some good Claremont stuff from the uh, from the UK books. Um, uh, also, Alan Davis did a run on Captain Britain as well uh, before all of the uh, you know before Excalibur. So mm-hmm. really fun stuff. Um, oh, I'm, dig- yeah. I'm digging the other world vibe. Trust you me. I love sure. I love the mythology that the core are are kind of out there watching over all these realities and are, are tied to all these realities. And the explanation that we kind of get here with uh, Otherworld and the energy matrix, it's very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm digging it. For sure, for sure. Now, uh, it's worth noting here that uh, Captain UK has taken off her helmet, uh, which includes her very fluffy, silvery, tufty hair. Um, and we can actually see what's underneath, which is a uh, blonde mullet. Oh, wow. You're yeah. right. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something. It's trickery. <laughs> <laughs> what that is a trickery <laughs> she looked better with the tufts um now we get a little bit more quick and dirty on the other world uh, the portals the multiverse um uh, before brand Br- brian gets a gander at a monolith that looks exactly like the excalibur lighthouse and uh you know brian he's still he's still not terribly comfortable he doesn't know exactly what's going on mm-hmm. um you know on top of you know the weirdness of other world intrinsically this has just been a very weird day Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> just about died. Yeah, a few times. And uh, he decides he wants to get some answers from Roma, to which Linda points to a giant palace floating in the sky not too far away and says, hey, she's right there. Go ask her. This is like a straight off a heavy metal album. I mean, this is <laughs> we got we got all sorts of craziness going on in another world, man. And this. The, yeah, this palace, we only I mean, it's just a small little drawing in a uh, in one panel. But I mean, it looks massive and magnificent oh Oh, it looks wonderful yeah and uh you know captain britain seems keen on this idea and then uh linda excuses herself to head back to her earth her portal looks uh, reminiscent of stonehenge that's what i thought i I looked at that and i was like so that's just for her specifically i'm thinking so okay yeah i'm guessing i wonder if like because they said that it's like only in england really because he was mentioned how when he was in america like the pull wasn't as strong or the power wasn't as strong so I wonder if yeah. just different bits and bobs of uh of England are just uh, tied to each reality. It's, uh, interesting stuff. Very very interesting stuff here. Uh, but we, this is where we leave Captain Britain for now. And uh, hey, remember how Rachel and Megan were trying to track down Megan's parents? Dun, dun, yeah, Rachel, let's let's check in on them. Uh, now it's been over a week or ten days actually, and uh, the girls are hoofing it, as in you know not using their powers. Uh, Megan wonders why they got to do it this way, to which Rachel informs her that they're undercover. So, uh, yes. I, I mean, Rachel has a, you know, uh, she is very striking to look at. I mean, a, a shocking red rat tail. Yeah. Um, looks, <laughs> I mean, if, even if you don't know she's a mutant, you, you, you're probably going to think she's something weird. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to you're going to get your eye caught uh, yes. because she definitely would stand out for sure. And and. Just the fact that she's walking next to a uh, a bodacious woman with elf ears. I mean, there's 
I don't know how undercover it's, you can be. Yeah, they're by the way, they're out straight out in the wilderness right now. So it's not like <laughs> yep. a lot of people are going to see them, uh, which is a good thing, because, yes, if there were a lot of people around, you, you trust me, they're going to get noticed. All eyes on them, for sure. Uh, now, Megan kind of flips out here and she uh, she thinks that Rachel's keeping things from her, treating her like a child. And uh, we learned oh. that this is. This is due to the fact that Rachel isn't tapping into her Phoenix powers. And on top of that, she's being rather tight lipped about everything that's going on in her mind. So, uh, yeah, she she is uh, she talks about how she has kind of stifled the Phoenix force mm -hmm. to try and piece these memories back together. Now, I know who Rachel Summers is mm -hmm. on the surface, but I haven't read very much with her in it. Sure. So just from the vibes that I've got on these last, you know, three issues that we've been doing, she's she's here on our earth and apparently doesn't know much about her own history. So she's trying to piece all these memories together. Am I right in some aspect there? Yeah, yeah, because because uh, she when she mined, uh, she had the, her her mind joined with Megan's last issue. Last and, issue, uh, yep. And she was able to. She wasn't able to decipher much, but what she did feel was that they had very similar fragmentation in their memory. So I think there's a, a sort of a, a kinship here where they she she knows that Megan has a similar I don't want to say forgetfulness, but similar holes in her memory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, relatively speaking. So mm -hmm. um, it, it, there is definitely a lot of stuff there where she just doesn't know. Um, I mean, Rachel's story is. Rachel's story is one that goes from fascinating to overstaying its welcome and back again uh, <laughs> throughout her, ex her throughout her experience her existence. Uh, there are times when there are stories that are Rachel centric that are just like phenomenal and interesting, and then there are other times where it's just like, okay, let's get on with it, please. I remember when I was getting into comics there in the early '90s, and when and when cable happened, and I was mm -hmm. able to actually like start looking up things about comic books and continuity i didn't know about rachel summers up up mm -hmm. at that up at that point and i think there was an issue i caught i can't remember if it was x x-man or x-men or what, whatever but cable and rachel actually meet and mm -hmm. i didn't realize rachel came before cable like oh this, yeah and yeah. And, and well, anyway, that that kind of blew my mind. So I always thought of her as a very interesting character just based off of the small glint of uh, of what I knew about her. But uh, I think that I want to point out here as well, the art choice is interesting when they're doing this discussion back and forth. Mm -hmm. They sit below this pine tree, which I thought was really neat how they did this. And I think oh, this yes. was I, I think this was is this like an homage to like her costumed look or when the phoenix force takes over how the pine needle shadows cover her face now i know that usually when we it's see the tattoos her, i think yes yeah, that's what i was thinking of when yeah. you see her with when the phoenix force is activated or whatever um yeah you see those things those markings on her face and her every panel tattoos, yeah every panel has like a, a bit of that on her and oh, sure. nothing's touching megan i mean it doesn't look like there's anything uh, on Megan's face, but it's always on Rachel's as they sit underneath that pine tree, which is pretty neat. No, oh, that's that's a great call out. I I didn't even notice that myself. Uh, yeah, that that is uh, reminiscent of her hound tattoos when uh, she was one of uh, Ahab's hounds. Oh, what a what a interesting continuity I've got to learn about there. Oh, nice it, origin story. For sure, for sure. Um, now, 
the the scene the scene the dialogue here it's a little bit forced because they are trying to like they're trying to really push some expositional dialogue so it's yeah um, if you're picking this up off the shelf and this is your first time reading it yeah you need to be caught up and here's your panel here's your catch up exactly um now of course we are trying to find megan's parents so that's what we're doing uh, now we jump ahead, assumedly four days later, because we're at the Broom Art Gallery in Birmingham. And is Nightcrawler's leg okay at this point? <laughs> uh, I haven't seen. Let's take a look and see. Uh, I don't see him around here. I, uh, I, when I read this, I was looking to make sure, and I, I didn't notice crutches, but I might have just missed it. Uh, he, yeah, he's uh, the first panel I see here is him behind our our good buddy uh, uh, Thug, and you <laughs> cannot see his legs. And <laughs> So I don't know, man. I don't know. I will have to pay attention as we go through the comics. Yes. Now, uh, somehow Micromax is already staked out there waiting for the art thief to show up. So uh, okay. does, does FI6 have a clairvoyant? <laughs> Here, Here's what I was thinking. When we were going into this in the last two issues, uh, I thought Micromax was the criminal. I honestly thought this this dude's like shrinking himself and he's walking away and he's trying to pretend that he actually works for the government and he's actually the one stealing the relics. I thought, oh, that'd be mm-hmm. a perfect comic book way to do things. But no, no, yeah, he is. He him. is definitely legit. He is definitely yeah. FI six and he is not a uh, spy or whatever. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, but I, I just wonder how he knew to be here. I mean, uh, they, I, well, here's the thing. I think they were talking about. There is a mention of a – oh, my goodness. I don't have it in my notes. But there's mention that FI6 has this thing called the Esper Division. That's right. And That's I think right. that is like some something equivalent to the the psychic lady that we have. Um, That's got to be. Yeah, so I think they're pointing him in the direction where to go. There we go. Very good. Very good. Now, we have Max sitting there, and he uh, just gets clobbered by some crates. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> one labeled uh, as being part of a druid art exhibit. And, Uh-oh. uh, yes, now once the crate is smashed, we can see that there's a blue stoned bracelet inside. And, uh, it's at this point that Nightcrawler and his new look N-Men pounce N-Men. into the scene. That's right. Well, <laughs> we get like, we get ourselves a battle here. We do, we do. And, uh, this, uh, reminds me a lot of, um, of, like, the middle era of Strike Force Moratory here, where every single issue we would get a scene of of their powers working in tandem. Yes. yes. And uh, that's exactly what we get here. We're, the the techies are able to just, it's like, it's like a Rube Goldberg sort of a battle here where it's just from move to move, to move, to move, to move. And uh, they manage to uh, overwhelm this uh, bestial art and trinket thief. Yeah. Okay. So wax works. Powers are horrifying. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, everybody else has these. Okay, I can kind of deal with these powers. Joy Boy is just horrifying to look at. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, you could probably stretch that to, which, by the way, <laughs> okay, everybody has on in men uniforms. Now, poor, poor waxwork. All right, the only thing that they can do with this steak-looking guy <laughs> is give him a bandana and like slap it on the top of his head that says yep. in, and that is it. They can't do anything else. But. His power set, his power set is when he touches something, he can turn it. I'll read it here. It says waxwork strikes out and turns newly solid, solid legs to the consistency of soft putty. Now, that's 
a scary, scary mm-hmm. description. And not only do we get a description, we get the visuals here in a comic book where this poor beast's legs just turn into wobbly noodles and he falls down. And I mean, yuck. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's. <laughs> He's a melter. He's, he's a yeah. melter. And, and I wonder, like, I, I hopped on to, I think, Marvel Fandom Wiki or whatever it is, Marvel Wiki, and I uh, I was like, please tell me that these can be reversed. Because <laughs> if he just does this and there's no way to reverse things, well, I can tell you that my internet, uh, uh, my internet journey did not discover that this is something that's reversible. And it doesn't get reversed in this comic. No, it sure doesn't. It sure doesn't. Uh, now, we find out that, you know, this this art thief here, this, uh, you know, invisible or whatever, uh, this beast, it's not the whole story because this beast is being commanded and controlled by another. And it turns out we've got a pointy-eared, bald-headed yoga enthusiast nearby <laughs> calling the shots. Uh, and uh, just when it looks like the beast will be felled, the geek imbues it with even more power. Mm-hmm. Maybe even too much power because after a run-in with China Doll, the poor thing explodes, yes. taking uh, several of the Broom Art Broom Art Gallery windows with it. Yeah, well, okay, let me let me step in here because I think what happens, and they ex- explain it weirdly in this, mm-hmm. when China Doll grabs a hold of you and I guess shrinks your body uh, into the miniature doll that she yes. can apparently shrink you to. There is energy that has to be dispersed. So he doesn't explode. What actually happens is the energy that it takes, she somehow usually siphons it off. Yeah, Yeah. and it causes this explosion. And, yeah, the Broom Art Gallery is going to need about 20 windows here because it's just an explosion that goes out. But, yeah, so at the end of this fight, this beast is – I, I guess reduced to the size of a little toy little action figure. Yeah. Well, and his wigs, his, his little wigs, his, his legs, his, his legs are still like flimsy and floppy. Yep. They're still it's, gumby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, this thing's done for whatever this thing came from. I don't know if it was conjured or what his days are done. For sure. For sure. Now the, uh, our, our bald headed friend, he is not pleased with these proceedings. And, uh, he mentions, you know, his, him coming back from exile and, um, mm. he's confident that in the end he will be, uh, he will be successful. Okay. Here. All right. So if you're a long reader of Excalibur, are you going to know who this guy is? Cause I wouldn't have any idea. Do you know? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I have a clue, but I, I could be off, so we'll, we'll find out as we progress. For sure, for sure. Now, as the dust settles, we can see that that art thief has been rendered into the action fu- action figure yeah. size critter. China uh, Doll's all happy. She oh, she it. wants it. Yeah, she wants <laughs> it in her collection. Uh, now, the team, they load off into the jet to take off, and uh, unfortunately... Oh, we've got we've got to have a little discussion here. Go ahead. <laughs> they leave Joy Boy behind. All right, okay. Now, look... <clears throat> Uh, she and I know you don't watch too many movies. No. Okay. Have you ever seen Raising Arizona? No. Okay. Have I've you ever seen <laughs> Have you ever seen Home Alone? Oh yes. Okay. All right. So this team gets on a jet. Okay. Nightcrawler, the rest of TechNet, get on a jet, and they completely forget the baby. 
of the group. They do, and what's what's really sad is the fact that Joy Boy watches them get on the plane and leave. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And he's of course he's Joy Boy. He's always got a smile on his face, which is just sure. creepy. But you know, it's got to be horrifyingly and sad to watch your friends, the guys you just went into battle with, get on a plane and leave you there for Maybe. completely forgot about. <laughs> Maybe just like in Home Alone, they were counting heads and they counted the action figure's head instead of Joy Boy. <laughs> That's it. There we go. And, you know, it, it, here here's Nightcrawler sitting on the plane and he's like, Joy Boy! He yells it out real loud. <laughs> so, um, now, the one thing that I, I had to go to, again, I went to MarvelFandom.com because... I'm I'm hopping on there and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen to Joy Boy? Maybe I maybe I should maybe I should look ahead a little bit. How many more appearances does he have? Where is he going to end up? Okay, now the one thing I'm I, I'm not going to spoil anything about Joy Boy, but I will tell you that the blurb, one of the blurbs on MarvelFandom.com, it needs corrected. It says Joy Boy went missing on a field trip into London and was separated from his companions. Folks, they forgot the baby. <laughs> <laughs> they forgot the baby. Do not dumb it down like that. Don't try to say he went missing on a field trip. They forgot him. Bullcrap. Or they just left him behind. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Now I get it. Now I understand. Oh, poor Joy Man. Boy. I'm oh, so it's sad. Gonna I, it's going to be I, a while I, before we see him again, I think. Uh, no. This is it? This is how Joy Boy goes away for a while? Oh, boy. His last words are bipple gobble. <laughs> I mean, or no, wait a second. Whoop. Whoop. Yeah. With a couple question marks and exclamation point. <laughs> All right, oh. then. That was, uh, and, and of course, I understand this is, this book is chock full of humor sometimes. And I think, obviously, you know, the last few things that we can see that TechNet are saying as they're on the plane whisking away is, uh, and I think this is Thug maybe talking. I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, they're talking about how the WHO, the Weird Happening Organization, uh, be stupid, and Nightcrawler's TechNet would never lose nothing. Joy Boy, folks. They Joy lost Boy. Joy Boy. Well, you know, <laughs> it's been a fun ride with Joy Boy. I don't know how many more jokes I'm going to get out of Joy Boy now. I'm not going to probably have any, and that kind of, you know, that upsets me a little as we as we go through these uh, as we go through these issues. So anyway, there's my rant. <laughs> Poor Joy Boy. <laughs> no, we uh, we we do wrap up the issue with our requisite trip to Eref, which uh, is just as boring as it was last issue and the issue before that and the issue before that. Um, Kylan and Satneen are fighting their way through hordes and fleeing into citadels before ultimately running smack dab into Necrom, mm. who is a bald-headed man with pointy ears. I wonder if there's any connection here. Uh, hey. Probably not. Uh, anywho, uh, Necrom decides to show his stuff by, uh, raising the dead. Yes. And, okay. Uh, so this, this was pretty freaky. The, the dead that he rises, who are these people? Well, we've got Spider-Man. We've got yeah. Thor. We right. got Black Knight and we have Yaoman UK. Brian Burdak. Yes. Brian Burdak. Now, this is Erath's version of Excalibur. Um, and if you look at Spider-Man, I, I, okay, of all these decrepit zombie-looking 
comic book characters we have in front of us of these four. Mm. Spider-Man scares me the most. Oh, he because, looks very, very bizarre. Yeah, yeah he, he almost looks simian in, in form, um, mm-hmm. and he's wearing the Spider-Man costume, but he also has, hey, it's the 90s, you gotta give some, you gotta give uh, the old three blades on the fist there, an, uh, an homage <laughs> to Wolverine, he's got Wolverine claws of all things, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but yeah, Spider-Man of this earth is, whew. and, and again, again, it might just be the fact that they're dead, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe that killed him. Yeah. Uh, so they, they're disturbing. And, and, uh, what's the next issue going to be called? Oh, what does it say? Uh, colon, the barbarian <laughs> colon, the barbarian is what we get to look forward to on our next issue. But, uh, but yeah, we're left with the suspense, the suspenseful, uh, and, and shocked gaze of our good buddy, Kylan, uh, as he watches the Excalibur of Erath rise from their grave, I threw it in there, folks. If we got a Pepsi Man <laughs> reference, we can make an Altered Beast reference. I think For that's sure. okay. <laughs> no, we wanted to we wanted to mention a few things that come out of the uh, the letters page here. Huh? Yes. You hit them with uh, with some of that. The sword strokes. Uh, so this right here, we got five letters, and really. Uh, you know, I, I got them down to like one sentence, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Sure. But uh, the first letter is from Helen, who is a married woman who apparently has a hall pass for Nightcrawler. Just <laughs> that, that's what I took out of that letter. OK, <laughs> she uh, she she does mention she's married. She mentions she has a thing for Nightcrawler and she would like uh, for them to be to somehow get Nightcrawler to her. We'll leave it at that. Second letter from <sighs> J.C., he has a request to make Nightcrawler the leader of Excalibur. Uh, he also says the beauty of Kitty Pride from the Marvel Universe trading card series one made him decide to buy Excalibur, which, hey, mm. I checked it out. It's a it's a good rendering of Kitty Pride. And, and he also states that Lockheed needs to come back. Now, I know we're talking this is uh, what issue 41, I think, is what they're they're uh, referring to here. Yes. In some of these so it's before we we hopped into things. Um the third letter from Steven, he wants some details on Widget, and so would I. Uh, mm-hmm. Kitty needs a new power, he says, and Lockheed is showing some promise. Okay, that's great. Uh, the fourth letter is from Aaron. Oh, boy. This dude thinks Excalibur, quote, stinks and needs <laughs> broken up and the members to go into other groups. So, yeah, and I love our uh, – I think this is Terry Cavanaugh who's replying here. Maybe. I don't know. But their uh, their response is, don't mince words, Aaron. He threw the whole paragraph about how he didn't like Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, it was just, this this book sucks. These people should be over here. Put Kitty on the X-Men. Give Nightcrawler his own What's book. What's going on, man? Cancel Come this on. book. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So this is the whole reason I brought this up. And I thought this was interesting because the fifth letter is a guy – by the name of Mike, and he wants a no prize for pointing out that they forgot Colossus's name on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this leads to further clarification in the response from the editors about what qualifies for a no prize. Now, I was telling Shane earlier, I'm not – I didn't know what exactly qualified and what a no prize was. Uh, I've, you know, I would lead, I would read the letter pages like very infrequently when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw the term no prize, I was like, what is that? And then I just completely forgot about it. So <laughs> uh, that's, that's where I was, but they go on to talk about the no prize can only be given, uh, for something which is essentially 
very significant. This is the 90s, folks. They make sure to mention that. This is the yes. 90s. Uh, it needs to be like an error in continuity. Mm-hmm. And if you find the error, this is interesting. If you find the error, <laughs> you have to provide Marvel an out. Yeah, you have to, to explain it away. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know that. I was like, okay. So they have to give Marvel an out as to why they may have made the error. Mm-hmm. And they they also mention this uh, in – you know, this is great for Marvel. Uh, they say that if you can maybe show that a good deed was done, you may get a no prize as well. Like uh, I think the guy, uh, the editor mentions that uh, if you know somebody that gave a box to a comic box of comics to a hospital or something like that. Sure. That apparently could qualify for a no prize. So, hey, I learned something. If you didn't know much about no prizes either out there, ladies and gentlemen, now you do. And well, granted, this is the 90s definition. I don't know if we retcon that or anything. <laughs> since then, but hey, there you go. No, and it, I, I, I was always, uh, you, sometimes you'll see a no prize pop up like on eBay or something. It's, it's just an empty envelope, but, uh, oh, is it seriously, does it say like Marvel or does it like, yeah, what, it's just like, it says like Marvel, here's your Marvel no prize on an envelope. Okay. It's, uh, it's, I, it seemed like one of the cooler things that you could get. I mean, I couldn't imagine what a no prize would be in 2020, mm. uh, the way that, we, I mean, we don't have continuity anymore, yeah, so say, Lord only knows. Best of luck trying to point out continuity <laughs> errors. Because, yeah, mean, it's like, well, we're, we're going to change that tomorrow anyway, so don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> well, I learned something. I definitely learned something. Joy Boy, it was good Which hating one? you for a couple uh, couple issues and, and pointing <laughs> out all your flaws. And I, Unfortunately, I am going to miss that little kid, I tell you. He's he's got to be, we're, we're just got to like make him the mascot of the show or something. He's yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that you know we talked about him being left there. He wasn't just left there and hung out and grabbed a beer or whatever. Uh, you see this like green hand come up and like is going to grab him and he disappears. <laughs> and you just look if there's any Joy Boy fans in 1991. I mean they're <laughs> wow. They're not sleeping that night. <laughs> no, you're not you're not going to go to bed and have sweet dreams. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Wow. Now, now that, that that's actually uh, not the end of the Excalibur coverage today. We we get a uh, special one-shot uh, prestige format special edition for Otis. some reason. Mm. Um, I, I'll I'll get us through the, uh, the the at least the preliminary credits, and then I'll turn it over to you to tell uh, tell the folks what happens in this thing. This is a sure. this is a book called Excalibur Heir Apparent. And for I don't know what the reason was, but it seemed like Excalibur has so many of these one-shot prestige formats that like I don't see any other book yet. <laughs> I've uh, so yeah I've never seen this book or heard of it mm. until we did this podcast. I didn't even know it was out there. Uh, so when you mentioned we were going to be doing it, I obviously had to go and find it and try to uh, read over it and get prepared. So but yeah, this was something I had no idea existed outside of. Uh, uh, you know, the only Excalibur I'm familiar with even seeing on the rack was just our regular series. I, sure. I would assume that I would assume that your normal. This is 1991, so I'm walking into like maybe a magazine shop that was mm-hmm. probably as focused when it comes to like periodicals in our town would be. You're probably not going to see this. Uh, yeah, at probably least I, not. You're yeah, probably going to see specialty this shop comic. only. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, uh. Yeah, because I think even Excalibur spun out of a of a prestige like of a graphic novel, the Excalibur graphic novel. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's it's weird how many there are for it, especially for such a middling sales wise series. You, it's like why why would they waste the time? Uh, yeah. But uh, this is heir apparent, 
It's been written by Scott Lobdell. There are different art teams on each chapter, and we'll name them as we go along. Uh, the letters are by Michael Heisler and Steve Dutro. Uh, assistant editor Mark Powers, editor Terry Cavanaugh, Chief DeFalco. This had a cover price of five bucks, four dollars and ninety-five cents USD. So that's a pretty pricey book back in 1991. Mm, tell me how Bailey's doing up there in Canada. Oh, he is spending an extra what is this, eighty cents, uh, five bucks seventy-five Canadian. Lovely. And uh, and I, I think I think a two point six pounds in the UK. The peas? Yeah. Is that the peas? Yeah. Oh. It's that weird L, that weird cursive L. Um. Yeah, 260 pound or two points. I don't even know how to say it. I apologize to anybody across the <laughs> pond who might be listening. Like, oh, this idiot trying to tell us how we do our money. I don't even, that's not even their money anymore, is it? I, I, uh, no, I, well, look, I have no idea. I just sit over here and read comic books. That's all I do. I don't, I don't, <laughs> it, it, did it happen outside my front yard? Okay, that's about yeah. as far as I'm going to go. I, I know there's Gil in Final Fantasy. That's about it. Um, <laughs> now, Perfect. <laughs> Uh, 2.6 gil um now this had a release date and i don't think this release date is right uh this is from mike's amazing world it gives a release date of december 3rd 1991 i don't think that's right uh since this had a december december cover date uh, unless we're reading this out of order if and if if we are it's due to uh the websites we're following Mm um how about you kick us off into our first chapter with uh, with our creative team or our, our art team Okay, we've got Ron Lim, Al Gordon, and Glennis Oliver here for Chapter One, I believe. Uh, oh boy, they listed all of the all of the art credits at the back. So I think yeah. the first person they're going to list is probably the uh, the penciler. Then we have the anchor, then the colorist. Am, yeah. am I am I right in guessing there? So uh, yes. Okay, so we got Ron Lim, Al Gordon, Glennis Oliver. Uh, now, granted, the way this is set up, this is seven chapters, I think, in an epilogue. I believe so. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going to blast through here. Quick synopsis for each chapter as best as I can. Make it as quick as possible, because trust me, this book was it was fun to get through. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very important book. This is such an yeah, important well, book. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I understand that you want this for your collection. It needs to go in, go have it graded and everything. Uh, our first page opens with a rather authoritative lady. Uh, in a blue suit with a question mark insignia on her shoulders, addressing an unseen party. She reveals how an alien android that is actually the reanimated body of the Galactus Herald Airwalker and its regenerator, geneticist Dr. Kerr, that's what I'm going to go with, mm. Dr. Kerr, have laid waste to a fishing village in Scotland, and now the pair are nowhere to be found. We can now see that we are at a facility being run by the Weird Happenings organization, and they are requesting Excalibur to find Airwalker and Dr. Caird and stop them. Adding into the mix is Care's deranged lab assistant, Norm, who also happens to be a life model decoy capable of detonating. Like, well, let's throw this in here and let's throw that. Um, <laughs> capable of detonating a nuclear explosion with his body. And... Not to mention that the good Dr. Care was actually experimenting with Galactus's self-regenerating technology, using it on himself, and now his touch will unravel a person's genetic structure. Mm-hmm. Excalibur members Nightcrawler, Megan, Shadowcat, Captain Britain, and Phoenix agree to split up. Nightcrawler goes on the hunt for the lab assistant Norm. Shadowcat is assigned to try and find an unsuccessful prototype 
of the Air Walker and Dr. Care's underground vault. Megan will be tasked with destroying Dr. Care's lab. Phoenix is given the mission to find and acquire Dr. Care himself, while Captain Britain is going to seek and destroy the android Airwalker. Now, question for you, okay? Yes. You know much about Airwalker at all because I do not. You know, I, I looked them up earlier, and I can't, there, there are a few people that were named Airwalker, um, but like, like – one of them like stems from like the Archangel Gabriel, and another one okay. is like part of the Nova Corps. Um, at, at this point, I mean, even even at my my you know heaviest Marvel zombie uh, you know uh, tenure, mm-hmm. um, think stories that had Galactus in it really didn't do it for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, the 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 one where sh- the one panel where they're showing the battle between Thor and Airwalker. Uh, I've seen that character before, and it's a very good possibility it may have been in an Ohatmu that I had where I was just kind of okay. skimming through and saw that character. But I know that I've not read anything with that character in it before. So yeah. right For off me, the bat, I'm like, eh, I don't know yeah. what I'm getting into. Yeah, because if they don't have, if they didn't have like a, a Marvel Universe trading card uh, back yeah. then, I yeah. I really didn't know who they were. Um, yeah, this story, I mean, even right now, it feels like any of the old uh, JLA, JSA crossovers from the pre-crisis. It's like, it's like, okay, well, we have to, we have to get all the, we have to get these widgets from these four corners of the earth, and we're gonna send each one of you this way and that way, and you're gonna fight this person, you're gonna fight that person. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those like weird stories that basically write themselves. Um, yeah. And uh, they're 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 not always the most entertaining. <laughs> it's. You know, procedural writing. Yeah, you're we're not going to come out of this saying, oh, my goodness. Did you Track see this what down. happened? Yeah. Did you see what happened? Uh, I will tell you that I'm a big fan of Ron Lim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved as we get through this book, we're going to see different art styles shine through and tell each story, which is something I enjoy. I, I don't mind that at all. It's a uh, it jam, can, yeah. Yeah, it could it can be jarring sometimes, but I think that you know the story that we're telling here it's not essential for let's just say you know Jay Lee could be doing something and it could look crazy and then we hop back into something that's way more straight line and that could be really jarring. I, that is that if that happened in this book it it wouldn't bother me. So I know no. kind of going into this that we're going to have different art styles, but I'm impressed with Ron Lim all the time. I've always liked what he does. So oh yeah. Uh, I mean, we don't get really much, uh, what's the word, uh, dynamic uh, dynamacy? That's probably not a word. But we're not, we don't get a whole lot. It's just people standing around in this first chapter saying, okay, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're we're just, just they're just hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else on chapter one before we move to chapter two? No. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're not, let's not analyze it too deeply. Uh, uh, this chapter- is like G.I. Joe Mass device here, you know, it's... <laughs> I like it. Uh, Chapter two, uh, we have pencils by Brian Stelfreeze. Then we have uh, inks by Carl Story. And then we have Dana Morshead on the collars. So our second chapter follows Nightcrawler and his mission to find the LMD norm, tracking him to a local mall, trying to be discreet. Yeah, this Mm. (laughs) Nightcrawler being discreet, like throws on a trench coat and a hat. And it's Raphael from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles walking amongst New York City. Uh, Trying to be discreet, Nightcrawler unfortunately gets noticed and fans of Excalibur begin to close in around him. In an upper level, Norm sees this and pulls a humongous 
machine. I don't know how he got this thing in there, but he yeah. did. It's this huge machine gun out of his coat uh, and takes aim at the mutant. Quickly, Nightcrawler bamps up to Norm, stop him from firing on the people below. And during the fight, Nightcrawler finds out the hard way that Norm also has super strength, punching Kurt, launching him into the air. Getting his bearings, Nightcrawler finds Norm again and is able to wrestle the machine gun and unloads on Norm, peeling away his organic skin to bear the frightening metal shell of the life model decoy below. Mm-hmm. Norm declares he will not be captured alive and activates his nuclear detonator to explode in 30 seconds. That's great. Way to go, Norm. <laughs> Norm! Norm! But, not, but Nightcrawler <laughs> is able to teleport them both into the water fountain. Had a water fountain in our mall there for a while, and then... They, they got rid of that. Uh, but, yeah, teleported him right into a water fountain in the mall, short-circuiting Norm's android body, causing a massive explosion, but luckily avoiding nuclear detonation. So there is Nightcrawler's uh, – his journey in this yeah. book here of self-discovery. and, and how many uh, irradiated pennies are now in that uh, – <laughs> now in that <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, I guess – Looking at it art-wise, it wasn't horrible. I don't know much about Brian Stelfree, so if you do, um, you know, you're more than welcome to step in. But, you know, that was – it was okay. Got the story across. Uh, had a good time, I mean, I guess, reading it. It wasn't yeah, – not, 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 it's not bad or anything. It's just uh, – I mean, the, I think the, the only complaint about this entire thing, when we get through it, it's just going to be – it's just so unnecessary. It's yeah. – uh, I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine telling someone to spend a dollar on this, much less five. Um, <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, it's, it's there. It's there is what it is. It's just there. It, it's this there. is if if listeners are familiar with X Men Unlimited, this would be perfectly at home on X in uh, X Men Unlimited. Yeah, all those impactful issues of oh, X Men Unlimited. Goodness. And th- <laughs> and that's that's one that uh, if you find an a, an issue of X Men Unlimited for fifty cents, I'd tell you to put it back. You know. <laughs> I'll get you a better deal, son. <laughs> yeah. If someone tries to sell you that for 50 cents, punch them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess we're moving on unless you got something else to say about no, chapter two. I, I will say that the life model decoy is very reminiscent of Terminator. I mean, oh, 100%. I, this is 91. Uh, so I think at this time, oh, I've got to double check. I had this, I had this actually up at one point. Mm. I think it was 90 when Terminator 2 came out. Either way, Terminator 1, the first Terminator, had – oh, no, 91, Terminator 2 Judgment Day came out. So this is – So it was right around – right in the wheelhouse here. Yes. Yeah, this is December, mm-hmm. and most likely they had this ready to go beforehand. But I'm sure oh, yeah. Terminator was on the minds of these people, and it looks very much like that. Oh, 100%. Um, it's definitely influenced. And we're going to get more movie influence as we go. But, yeah, this is definitely uh, Terminator-influenced um, – uh, it's not a bad looking character. It's just, uh, I mean, well, you know I mean, it's exactly Norm. going for <laughs> Norm's first appearance. Maybe. I don't know. I have no, idea. I doubt it, but <laughs> either way, Norm's a one and done. He is done for here. Yes. Uh, all right. Oh, I, I did like, I did like the people noticing Nightcrawler as silly as it was that, uh, that he was in his trench coat. I like the kid. Like, he's like, that man has a tail. <laughs> yeah. And everybody stops, mo- starts mobbing him. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Excalibur, obviously, a very popular amongst the people here over. In, I mean, this is the British version of, you know, th- it's their super team. Yeah. And, and, and you get a member of them walking amongst civilized people. I mean, sure. my goodness, it's like royalty. So, <laughs> ah, all right. Well, let's get into chapter three here. Now, sure. by the way, none of these chapters are titled anything. So, I'm, you know, as far yeah, as I can just... tell, they're just there. Um, 
unless we're going to call chapter three create, which is the big letters <laughs> of our of our. Uh, oh, my goodness. H.R. Geiger influence prototype here. We're, we're, we're catching up with Kitty Pride in this one. Oh, by the way, creative team. Uh, or I should say our our arts, uh, Dwayne Turner, Klaus Jansen and Arion. It, it's he or she goes just by one name and that's Arion. Very important. Uh, we <laughs> we joined Shadowcat, who was in Dr. Care's vault. Alrighty, uh, alrighty, already fighting an HR Geiger influence prototype and immediately dispatches it by activating her phasing powers inside the prototype's body. And I'm like, wow, that that was quick. Mm-hmm. However, using its self-regenerative powers, the prototype comes back to life and attacks Shadowcat. But she is able to retreat by facing through the floor. Surprisingly, I have no idea how. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, the prototype phases after her yep. and continues to attack. So she's falling through the earth. This thing is coming after her. Uh, and as Shadowcat phases further below the lab into the depths of the earth, the prototype chases until Shadowcat is able to find a cavern full of hot lava. Okay. We just talked about Terminator 2. <laughs> and just as just as Shadowcat phases into the cavern, she clings onto a hanging piece of rock as the relentless prototype falls into the lava, incinerating itself, except for it gave a thumbs up as it descended uh, beneath the hot lava. <laughs> OK, that that part I made up. But anyway, we have we have. OK, the prototype is straight up alien. It's alien. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. It's yeah. it's alien. It's a mechanized H.R. Uh, Geiger alien. Um, another, yeah, again, movie influence. And there's another movie, uh, there's another movie trope that pops up here. And I'm going to point this out too here later as we go through the book. And it's funny because, you know, just like we said, this is there, this story is there. And all I could do is just start picking out the things that were like, well, that's where they got that from. Mm -hmm. And that's where they got that from. And that's where they got that from. Um, so yeah, uh, Shadowcat's able to beat the, the the prototype here, and that's that, Shadowcat. So, what do you what do you say here, Shean? Any any words of wisdom about Chapter Three? Uh, you know, the the story was what it was. Um, I thought it was cool that, well, um, cool and uh, a little nebulous that the that the alien was able to phase. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, I, it I, it just up was the there a, an explanation? Was there an explanation uh, no, for that? No. Okay. Uh, not not one that I caught, uh, but it just seemed like uh, it, it was nice that Shadowcat thought she was going to get away her usual way, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, not so fast. This thing can also phase. Uh, and it's really, a, it is a bad looking prototype too. I mean, oh, yeah, it it's is gross. It's yeah. mean looking. Uh, yeah. And clearly, it you know, if it could have got its hand on Shadow, its hands on Shadowcat, uh, it would have oh, been rendered better. better. Yeah. And uh, the art here, I, I really, really like the art here. I like uh, uh, who is this? Is Dwayne Turner? I like yeah. his Shadow Cat a lot. I think he did a really good job on her. And I mean, the the alien is is an alien is an alien. We were able to point it out, so that was uh, I guess that was good enough. Yeah. Uh, so yep, she's she's able to walk away, no problem. Uh, and well, hopefully she's able to get out of that cave, which you know, I'm sure <laughs> she should have no problems. Sure. Um, all right, we're going on to chapter four. You ready? Sure. All right, chapter four, Jackson. I'm going to go with I think it's Geese. Am I right? Geis. Geis. Jackson Geis. Tom Palmer. Dana Mooreshead. Megan. Catch up with Megan here, who has successfully gained entry into Doctor Care's lab and is now intent on destroying all of Galactus's pirated technology. 
Megan appears to have the green skin and scales of a snake, and we learn that the Weird Happenings organization advised her that if she could change her physiology to match that of a cobra, it would act as a deterrent to any biology-altering uh, biology particles still active in the lab. Okay, now I wrote that sentence out. And I thought to myself, I, I might as well just take it out. It's, there's not, that didn't even need to be part of it. I mean, I don't think anybody at the time reading this was like, how is she in there? How is yeah, she doing yeah. that? But it yeah, just adds what was it during the during like the first um, during the first chat or the prologue or whatever uh, that the, the girl from the WHO was like, we need someone who could change their physiology. And then Megan's like someone like Megan or someone named Megan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, we how need to find you get... something to do megan so uh, mm-hmm. how about we you got a whole uh, chapter yeah. four we, gonna do. <laughs> we got we got eight pages we got to fill do you yes. think you could turn green well i don't know who else to do a i don't know buddy cop chapter with then <laughs> megan and this new character i had no idea existed all Old right blood Cold blood. So while she's preparing to <laughs> upload the virus to Dr. Kerr's computer, a cyborg hired by Roxon by the name of Eric Saban, codenamed Cold Blood, appears and tells her oh, that's that it, that had to have been on that 90s uh, superhero meme generator that was going around Facebook a while back. The superhero name uh, meme. Anyway, Cold and Blood. This is, this is before Image happened. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> The roots are there. She is. You can see it. <laughs> he is patient zero of image. Yeah. Uh, Codename Coldblood appears and tells her that someone has hired him to get Dr. Care's notes and he plans to stop Megan from blowing up the lab. I don't think I don't know if he planned to stop her, but either way, he was wanting those notes. And Megan was yeah. like, no, no, look, you, you, do you know what you're giving to these people? Uh, so they proceed to scuffle. Coldblood forcefully throws Megan into a computer panel, almost knocking her out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she tries to explain to Coldblood that Dr. Care's work turns people into nerveless protoplasm. All right. Trying to appeal to the mercenary's good side. It turns out that Coldblood is not so cold-blooded after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to say that this whole episode. Uh, He's not so heartless after all, and this being his first mercenary contract, he de- decides to do the right thing by helping Megan destroy the lab. He also summons his car, a la Knight Rider, in order, to, in order for the two to escape before the lab explodes. Now, I did leave a bit of an interesting part out of that synopsis, mm-hmm. and that is the two warring things that are going on inside cold blood where you have cold blood cold blood the human and then you have his cyborg computer part which continues to argue with him throughout the whole chapter like uh, as to uh, hey you better not do that roxon's gonna be upset and he's got this like the, the computer has sarcasm it's interesting but it's neither here nor there actually it is just there uh yes. so there you go. They ex- they ride off into the night mm, yeah. as 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 uh, the lab explodes. Megan is successful in her mission and gained a new friend along the way. It's true. And yeah, Cold Blood, uh, he he first appeared during a uh, he had a little anthology arc in Marvel Comics Presents. And I'm Ooh. I'm guessing I, I'd have let me, I, I, let me pull it up here. I'm guessing that Scott Lobdell probably wrote it. Okay. Um, okay. Now, no, no. Something... Doug Mensch did actually. Doug Mensch okay. actually wrote it. But uh, yeah, Cold Blood. Uh, he first appeared back in Marvel Comics Presents number twenty-six. Back. Well, that's in, uh... not too far down the road for you, is it? Oh, uh, it's yeah. It's uh, not too far on the uh, Marvel Comics Presents run. But yeah. uh, 
Yeah, this was uh, August of 89. So at this point, he was a little over a year old. Uh, okay, okay. So, but he really doesn't, uh, he doesn't do a whole <laughs> heck of a lot. Just there, man. <laughs> Everybody is just there. I think, uh, I think they brought him back for Civil War just to kill him. So well, <laughs> I hope him and Megan at least got a couple words in like, hey, I remember you. I remember you. What are yeah. you what's going on? Let's catch up. All right. You remember that lab? Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy, man. <laughs> All right. That book that nobody read? <laughs> Chapter five. Uh, we got Rick. Oh, hey, did you have anything you want to say about the art? Anything like that before we jump into Chapter five? It uh, it's it feels so dated, but coming from 1991, it also feels ahead of its time. Yes. Uh, okay. It feels like it's very, very indicative of where things are going um, art wise for uh, for the heavy hitters of the industry. And uh I mean, Cold Blood is, he might be patient zero for uh, for <laughs> 90s comics here. He's very, very, I mean, he's got the half half metal face. It's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, oh my goodness. Codename you, Strike Force. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, it, you, you could play the, you, you could play, you could play and win 90s bingo with Cold Blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Walk away with the Kroger gift certificate, folks. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> all right chapter five chapter five chapter five rick leonardi joe rubenstein and glennis oliver phoenix phoenix yes phoenix let's try that again phoenix has discovered that dr care is hiding amongst civilians in a local pub after dousing some rather uncooperative bar patrons with a massive amount of ale i'm sure they weren't too upset about that she asked them one more time for the whereabouts of dr care Unanimously, they all point to a darkened booth on the other side of the bar where a hulking, physically transformed Dr. Care sits alone. Addressing Phoenix, he explains the experiments with the Galactus with Galactus's regenerative technology resulted in killing him, then resurrecting him, then killing him, then resurrecting him over and over. As he attacks her, Dr. Care begins to cover the patrons around her in goo, turning them into protoplasm. Mm-hmm. Care's attack is slowly getting through Phoenix's telekinetic shield, but he soon becomes out of breath, leaving Fe- leaving Phoenix the opportunity to slam a full-size pool table on top of him. <laughs> I mean, this thing just comes down and How about splats. we play pool? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. However, Dr. Care oozes out from under it, ready to fight some more. Now Phoenix is worried. She's uncertain on how to stop the insane professor until she realizes that his powers are unable to affect glass. I can't remember how she came up with that. I just know she's like glass. Yeah, because didn't she like step on a piece of it or like uh, and maybe she noticed that it wasn't dissolved into nothing? Uh, maybe point. I didn't yeah. I didn't catch it. I I just know she's like, well, glass seems to have uh, it, it can't be affected by him. Hmm. So what she does is she gets all this broken glass and she wraps him in it and makes this cocoon chrysalis yeah yes a a chrysalis out of glass and is able to actually stop the insane professor all right the problem is she kind of regrets what she did but she didn't know any other way to stop him because she understands that no air is getting into this so Mm -hmm. he is continually suffocating to death coming back to life (laughs) and then suffocating to death and then coming back to life uh, so even though she even though this puts an end to his murderous rampage, Phoenix regrets the with the understanding that until the WHO can determine how to cure him, 
he will most likely continue that process over and over. And I think one of the mm-hmm. things that he mentions is that that process, just from what has occurred prior to this battle, has driven him insane, which, yeah, I mean, I can't blame the guy. Oh, for uh, sure. That, that's yeah, that's uh, that would. But you can't just go around turning people into blobs either. So that's also true. Fair point. <laughs> also true. Fair <laughs> point. Counterpoint. All right. Uh, so anyway, there you go. They the uh, that by the end of this issue, I think the the who agents pop up and they are kind of loading this chrysalis of Doctor Care into their ship, and that's where we leave that. So, uh, what's your thoughts here, man? Anything you'd like to talk about on this chapter? I did not like the art. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think of the seven, this one seemed a little less polished. It seemed if I mean, I, I like Rick Leonardi. I've seen a lot of his work that I really, really enjoy. This feels this looks to me, you know, speaking completely out of my ass, it it, it looks rushed. Mm. Um, it looks like a very rushed thing here. Maybe it was uh just not jiving with the uh, with the inks and colors, but yeah, it's not uh, what I would think of when I think of Rick Leonardi. Um. I liked the story. I thought the story was good. Um, I thought that uh, the way Phoenix finally came around to to trapping our doc here, I thought that was uh, it was clever, mm-hmm. which uh, I mean, it, it was what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to you got to figure out a way to try and stop this guy. Sure. He's he's, you know, this this monster that's just pretty when you can actually start getting through uh, Phoenix's defenses. You're oh, formidable. Yeah. You're formidable, yeah, you, and you're, you're a tier, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I like the I like the solution. Uh, it's you know she finds the one thing that can actually stop the guy, and she makes use of it, and mm-hmm. off she goes. I do like you know the fact that she doesn't like doing that. I mean, she could have yeah. just went into this, did that to the guy, you know, it, knowing that he was going to continually die over and over, and just kind of brush it off after all the crap that he's done, but yeah, she, she actually even, yeah because she mentions that like uh, she could just tap into the Phoenix Force and send them to the other side of the universe and uh, but that uh, what Professor X said that like murder is like the least creative way of doing something or, yeah 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 so yeah she she you know she clevered her way into uh, into taking care of business agreed agreed all right well, let's get into chapter six and mm-hmm. oh it's the nineties <laughs> it is the nineties Eric Larson shows up in yep. this book. Oh, I was excited. I was I really excited. I think this excited. will be the only time we talk about Eric Larson for a very, very long time. Here. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, Eric Larson shows up, and then we have Glennis Oliver backing him up here. So Captain Britain has found the android Airwalker. Now, look, if I if you would have just showed me the layouts for these chapters and said, okay, which one do you think Eric Larson's going to draw? This is the chapter. Oh, 100%. I, I, I knew he would most likely pick because if he had the choice, he would take knocking somebody through a wall over and over <laughs> as uh, you know, that's his first, that's his first option. He's going to take it. So Eric Larson. Yes, here we go. Captain Britain has found the Android Airwalker. These two hulking hero versus, uh, yeah, Galactus, uh, Galactus Herald, Herald yeah. Android. Uh, but he's having trouble coming up with a way to stop him, okay? And brute force isn't working out so well. Um, he leaps at him. He unleashes a full-force dive at Airwalker, only to bounce off the barrier of pollutants and inert gases 
that Airwalker has surrounded himself with. I do that all the time when I'm at work. Uh, <laughs> Captain Britain. <laughs> Captain Britain. I keep all the people away that way. Uh, <laughs> Captain Britain is finally able to get a shot in from behind Airwalker, as the shield apparently does not wrap all the way around him. But soon he realized he's outmatched. Airwalker defiantly states that he knows Captain Britain can't beat him since he's regenerated his cosmic fire cloak, mm. which apparently there are these two wings on the back of Airwalker's back. And yeah. these things act as a cosmic collector. Okay. So that sparks an idea. <laughs> this is like, a, how do we, there's a problem. How do we fix it? Now yep. I can tell you that of all the problems we had throughout this book, this one, I, good luck. I don't understand. <laughs> I have no idea how he comes up with it, and I honestly think that they address it in the book. Here we go. All right. So this sparks an idea for Captain Britain as he tackles Airwalker, grabbing the two fiery cloak wings and crossing them, causing a cosmic feedback loop that results in the android melting and then exploding. You would have thought that would have leveled the town that they were in. Luckily, the town was evacuated, so he knew that most likely... Probably people aren't going to get hurt. Hopefully <laughs> cross our fingers, cross our wings, cross our cloaks. That's not what's going to happen. Uh, but And luckily for Captain Britain, just as he theorized, this must have been from that big book that he was reading when he was trying to get some rest. Yes. Just as he theorized, the explosion was only on a cosmic level and the little things around it were unaffected. Uh, and Captain Britain, at the end of this, uh, this chapter, is glad his plan actually worked. So... Oh, boy, this was a fun, fun, the funnest chapter, Rob. You know, it's it's funny because, oh, my goodness. I mean, just that opening page, Captain Britain, fist clenched, Mm -hmm. Airwalker descending from the skies. And, you know, he's just like, it's on. And I'm like, Eric Larson, buddy, it's on. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, yeah, we get uh, uh, and the Airwalker, by the way. No skin doesn't look like the the the, uh, the the panel or the screen that we saw at the very first chapter where it's yeah you know it looks like an actual human. This is Terminator with fire wings. A hundred percent, yeah. That that is all. This is the T one oh one or T one. I can't remember which but yeah, which with a model. With fork t- on its head, like with Lockheed's yes. fork on its head. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I saw that too, and I was like, <laughs> what is going on? So I have, you know, I see this character. I just remember when we first decided to do this book mm. i was flipping through it and i saw eric larson on it and i was like oh he's doing this and he's got this freaking terminator hulking dude <laughs> oh my goodness i can't wait to read it and <laughs> i mean it is like the most holy crap there's a fight and holy crap it's done it's yeah. just over within a matter of seconds it seems like mm-hmm. um not a whole lot which hey that's didn't that's, need to be hey, yeah. didn't need to be so, uh, yeah, again, another movie reference, in my opinion. I, I don't know if that's the way he looked. If the Airwalker looked like this always, you know, before 1980, you know, whatever Terminator 1 know. came out. I have no yeah. idea. But either way, you can see where the influence is coming from here. For sure. Yeah. Th- and, yeah, this is a uh, this is some really good Larson here. Uh, mm-hmm. I really I really like this here. Um, uh, it's two just hulking characters you know slapping meat you know it was yep (laughs) it was a really really fun um chapter britain has no idea how to beat this guy and just on a very like slim chance 
Maybe sure. this will work, and it does. And he's lucky. <laughs> so I had a good time with that one. Um, oh, absolutely. Any, anything else on it? No, no, no. It was just a lot of fun. Probably the most fun we've we've had on this one, and uh, mm. uh, the art is just it's spectacular. I agree. I agree. All right, chapter seven. Creative team: James Fry, Don Hudson, a- Arion's back. So this yeah. is this is a was uh, this is another movie reference in this one. If I if I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, did I say that? Uh, no. Did I? Caliber goes to the movies. Is what oh reading. my! I I well. <laughs> me. <Lockheed! laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, as Excalibur is away, yes, the Lockheed shall play. Back at Excalibur's lighthouse headquarters, while the team is away, a couple of weird happening organization flunkies by the name of Steinman and Krieger break in to plant audio devices in order to keep tabs on the team. The pair were not counting on Excalibur's faithful, I'll call him a pet here, but I just read that letters page and they're like, Let's call him a friend. So let's do it that way. <laughs> Excalibur's faithful friend, Dragon, Lockheed, in defending his home, a la Kevin McAllister. <laughs> After a few hijinks where finally Lockheed animates one of Captain Britain's empty costumes, the pair of lackeys run away in the night, convinced the lighthouse is haunted just <laughs> before the team returns. So, yeah, if you were thinking it's just going to be six chapters because there's six members of Excalibur, you were mistaken because you forgot about the seventh member of Excalibur, Lockheed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally I mean, this was this, <laughs> this was absolutely, if we're going to judge things on humor, I had the most fun with this chapter. Yes, yes. Because there was a lot of funny stuff going on uh, between the two bumbling uh, lackeys from WHO coming in here. And... Uh, <laughs> But I think I posted this. I can't remember if I posted this on the Facebook page or my own, but there's the point where Lockheed takes a big chunk out of that one guy's butt. All right. Just opens his mouth and clamps down and takes a huge bite. And, and, and he yells out, Yarg. Okay. Y E A R G H. Okay. Now we could leave it at that, but we're not going to because. <laughs> One of, I can't remember which lackey, either Steinman or Krieger, looks over him and says, Yarg? Did you say Yarg? Like, I've seen it written, but I've never heard anyone actually use it in conversation. So they broke down, what is it, the onomatopoeia that this yep. guy, I mean, this, no. I was like, okay, that's classic. All right, so anyway, mm-hmm. a lot of fun here. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah we, we get to watch Lockheed just scare the bejesus out of these two guys. And, I mean, I don't know if there was a reason to have this there other than just to be like, okay, well we've had a lot of action and now let's just throw a little bit of humor into it. I understand we're getting in, you know, we kind of got to establish that. Well, granted, I didn't, I don't know much about the WHO, the weird happening or happenings organization. So this establishes for me and the limited bit of knowledge of Excalibur that I know that the WHO are not always on Excalibur's side. They yeah, it's, are the it's contentious at times. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're heavy handed. They want to make sure that the Excalibur is doing what they want them to do. So they decide to go bug, uh, bug their house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess when it comes to the importance of this chapter, that's what it established for me, but had sure. a good time reading it anyway. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and the art was nice too. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
epilogue. Our, our epilogue is like one page, six this panels. <laughs> <laughs> six panels after uh, Simon and Krieger run away. The uh, the team Excalibur returns home. And it's a very strange epilogue where the team reflect on their adventures that they just had. All right. This is like, you know, this is like the end of some episode from the 80s or something that, you know, of yeah. your favorite show where they talk about what happened and then freeze frame as they all laugh, which is pretty much which is exactly uh, what they do. Yeah. <laughs> they, give, <laughs> they, they give Captain Britain crap, which is hilarious they give him a hard time because he almost destroyed the universe Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's like you know raises his hand to the air and he's like ah well maybe i should have destroyed the universe or at least this house (laughs) and roll credits Mm -hmm. that's the end (laughs) all right so there is air apparent and i'm apparently no you know what they should have called this (laughs) <laughs> there apparent <laughs> because <laughs> it is there it is folks there. <laughs> it is there yeah. apparently apparently yeah this is oh yeah by the weird by the way epilogue ron Lim, al gordon glennis oliver yes, oh yes. they did six panel so there you go yeah, uh so. i had a good time man the air apparent was i mean hey as much crap as we're giving it I never read the book before. Sure. Now I can say I have, and I talked about it with you, so I had a good time. <laughs> yes, no, it was it was fun, but uh, it's one of those that I, I just couldn't. I know if I would have spent five dollars on this back in the day, would just been like, huh? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you had to have been a fan of Excalibur. Yeah, yeah. big time, big time, because it's yeah, because I mean, the nicest thing we can say is that it's there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and some of the references were were cute. Um, the art was for the most part, the art was very very good. Um, it, it feels like one of those books that everybody had a lot of fun making, um, yeah. which, I mean, that's, that's great. Um, I don't know where this fits, uh, cause I mean, the team we looked at in issue 45 is not this team because everybody split up, you know, to the winds. Um, and it's a different writer. It's Scott Lobdell. So yeah, maybe, I, and the, the, the lighthouse hasn't been rebuilt yet. So this is probably taking place before the uh, Alan Davis run, huh? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you can't see them. I thought it was the lighthouse. Um, uh, well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking it over, but either way. Yeah. Where it this, doesn't look like the giant mushroom yet. It doesn't. No, it, yeah. it hasn't been. Well, <laughs> it hasn't been destroyed by our, yeah, by our by good buddy. Uh, <laughs> what was the name of that chicken again? I cannot remember oh, his name. Oh, Henry. Henry. Hard boiled Henry. There he is. Hard boiled Henry showed up and he exploded it. Uh, so, but I, I, honestly, what's strange is now that I'm really realizing after reading this, the the only thing I took away, I already told you that like was the final chapter where the who? Lo, yeah, Lockheed yeah. comes in and you can't trust the who. Who can you trust? You can't trust the who. Who's on first? <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> I don't know that bit, so I'm stopping there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But but overall it was it was a good time it was it's it's especially fun to talk about yeah. um, if you're reading it by yourself it might not be quite as fun but uh, no no this was a uh, this was something and uh, and hey it gives us more to talk about but uh, that is the comic bit for this segment um, we do have our hook though where we are going through everybody's uh, soundtracks of their lives and uh, oh that's right yes and. Uh, Jesse will indulge us with uh, some stories about uh, the soundtrack of his life. Yeah, wow. So 
I went with 10. Now I won't, mm-hmm. I won't drag this any longer. I know you guys have a lot of content to listen to here for this episode. So, and, and just, just this chapter, uh, the Excalibur chapter of from Claremont to Claremont was, was pretty long. So I won't drag this out, but I will give you, I, I took it to 10 songs. Uh, mm-hmm. so I know we had our choice of five or 10, whatever we wanted to do. So here we go. Here's how I did it. Here's the methodology. Sure. It's so funny. Cause Mark and I, Mark Radlich, which I don't know if he's on or after this, uh, he's he's going to be, um, let's see, I think he might have just come on right before because he's doing a Wolverine book. But, uh, okay. but and I think Wolverine comes before Excalibur, maybe. I don't know. Man, no, no, he might be coming next. Okay. Yeah, we'll figure well, it out. If, listen, yeah, if you Mark, heard Mark. <laughs> he's going to be on, he'll, he'll, he'll be, be in the here. episode. <laughs> but uh, Mark and I do a podcast called The Metal Hammer of Doom where we discuss uh, usually new metal albums that release. We pick one and then we kind of talk about what happened. Um, so... Recently, like two weeks ago, Mark and I, two weeks as of this recording, Mark and I actually watched a live concert in, yes, the era of COVID from our living rooms. We watched uh, a clutch concert and one of the people uh, that, uh, or excuse me, the way that they did this was they offered for people to create a set list. Mm -hmm. And if you submitted a set list, they would choose that set list and they would do all those songs. So there was oh, a wow. lucky winner that got to pick all the songs of that set and they walked away with some unbelievably fascinating prizes. But oh, awesome. it's Mark and I both love the band Clutch. So we watched the concert together. And then what we did is we actually took the we each generated the playlist to submit and we talked about our playlist and we took the the winner's playlist and played it on the metal hammer of doom and talked about what went into that playlist. Okay. Very cool. So, uh, you know, we, we, we broke it down. We thought about why did you pick this song? Blah, blah, blah. So I came up with some parameters for my soundtrack of my mm-hmm. life. And with 10 songs, I decided, okay, I'm going to divide it into blocks of 10 years. So okay. we got, uh, Zero through ten. That's right. Zero through ten of of the, of the soundtrack to Jesse. Zero through ten years old. Eleven through twenty. Twenty one through thirty. And I kind of fudged a little bit on the last one because I'm forty two. So we're going thirty one to forty two. So gotcha. I'll give you a little bit of an explanation and and the songs that, uh, yeah, that are coming forward here. So here we go. Song number one is going to be Carly Simon's Jesse. Okay. And mm-hmm. I said zero to ten because this was apparently the influence that caused my mom to choose my name. Really? Now, <laughs> if you listen to the song, it has obviously it's it's a it's it's not a a very it's not a fun song to listen to. It's about a lady who falls out of love and then falls back in. But this the song mom apparently liked the name and said, okay, well that's what I'm gonna name my kid. So that that's how I became known as Jesse. All right. Hey, how about that? All right. Uh, so we got three songs, by the way, that make up the decade from from my birth to 10 years old. OK, gotcha. Koji Kondo's theme to Super Mario Brothers comes in at number two, track number two uh, in 1988 when I was 10 years old was the first time I ever got my Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And that I define as a shaping moment of my life. When I became somewhat of a gamer, trust me, there's people out there that play more games than I do, but. I enjoy playing video games. I enjoy playing video games with my son, listening to video game music, chip tunes, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so I would say that that probably would factor into it. Would it, this soundtrack, by the way, is going to be all over the map. So if you're buying this soundtrack, folks, <laughs> <laughs> 
best of luck. You're going to get a mix of just about everything. I think we're gonna we're gonna put together a bunch of Spotify playlists so people can it. actually listen along. So oh, yes, they're gonna be all over the place. Spectacular. Ah, <laughs> uh, so then. Uh, my third song for that decade between zero to 10 would be Alan Silvestri's theme to back to the future. Uh, I remember watching back to the future on probably VHS cassette. I was never, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to the movies to watch uh, back to the future on the big screen. Cause I had no idea existed. And number two, I was too young for, to ask my mom to take me to something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I became such a fan of that movie uh, and, and whenever you hear the beginning of that, if I ever hear the beginning of that song, it brings up a lot of memories. Huge fan of the franchise. You'll probably see my cover photo on Facebook is the uh, a model DeLorean. I got it at an auction. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I got I got this model DeLorean at an auction for, you know, just cheap, cheap price. It was the Back to the Future DeLorean. It had the fire trails and everything. Oh, nice. But uh, that really, when you look at that, that movie, the sequels after, you know, I will to this day, defend two and three. I love the whole franchise itself. Oh yeah, me too. Um, that's actually movies that I have seen. Hey, it's <laughs> <Which is, laughs> precious in view. <laughs> so I, I just, the thought of time travel actually really affected like the stories that I read. I will read just mm-hmm. about anything that involves time travel and comic books. My goodness. You know, when I was getting into it in the early 90s, that spoke to me. Uh, you know, oh, I just ma- I mentioned Cable earlier and Cable Nathan and Summers. And, yeah. Oh, I, it was, you know, so that just fit right in that wheelhouse. I wrote a letter to myself f- to go. Well, if I dec- if I ever if time travel was ever invented, <laughs> <laughs> I would go back to myself. Uh, it, I think it was 12 years old. So that's that's how much that just that movie and that concept uh, oh, wow. steered my life in, in, in directions. So, so all what right. Did, what did the letter say? Uh, if you don't mind. It, it had, it had dates on it. I actually seriously have a disc around here that I saved and okay. Mm-hmm. So you had three and a half floppy disks. This is sure. on a five and a quarter. The biggies. Yeah. The biggies, the big, the flop, the actual literally floppy floppies. Disc. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, now, of course, you can't find – didn't take that into account when I was younger. <laughs> you can't find one of those drives. It has dates and everything of stuff that happened to me, like between 1991 and 92 to go back and change. Wow. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> uh, so, it, yeah, it's lost to history now. Thanks a lot. Uh, I don't Thanks know a lot, how, progress. <laughs> way, to, way to go, technology. <laughs> Uh, so yes oh, i love it uh, all right so heading into uh my second decade of life 11 through 20 um and this was tough man i mean when you really think about it i'm, I'm going into this i'm like i want to pick songs that kind of define the moments of my sure. life so guns and roses november rain is the song that my wife and i when we started dating decided was this <laughs> That was the song that we were going to play at our wedding. Then we saw the video. Okay, if you ever see the video of November Rain. Not so romantic. We probably do that for our wedding. You know, this is kind of sad. But uh, we started dating in 92. We're still married okay. to this day. So uh, um, there's Guns N' Roses, November Rain, establishing. Anytime I hear it, I think about when my wife started date. when me and my wife started dating. There you go. And, All right, plus, next uh, up. That, that song might take 10 years to get through. As a matter of fact, it's, it's still a going to It's a very long song. <laughs> yes. 
still going today. I think uh, a game of Monopoly I started in 1995 <laughs> and November Rain are still going on right now. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Uh, Pink Floyd. We're going into Pink Floyd's time, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you're a Pink Floyd fan, you you know Dire Side of the Moon left and right, most likely. Whether it's your favorite album or not, you probably know most of the tracks on there. And ones that stick out off of that are Money, um, Wall. Uh, Dark, Dark Side. What's that? Is, is the Wall in that one or no? That's in the Wall. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I think that's on yeah. the Wall. Um, but here's the thing. I, as a young kid going into your teens and the 90s was all about rap, gangster rap. Sure. Know, listening to uh, that was that was to me the exciting part of music. And then I got into the truck one night. I was heading over to my dad's, pulled out a tape, and it was Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have nothing else to listen to. You know, <laughs> I'll put this on and, you know, I'll, let's see what happens. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. And Pink Floyd's Time is the first song that I ever realized a story could be told in a song. Okay. And it's, if you listen to that song, it, it takes you from, I think, the beginning of a man's life and how everything, you know, is is going great. And then it, all of a sudden it just seems like time does not stop. And he continues mm-hmm. to get older throughout the song. Um, really, you know, uh, made Powerful. me... A, yeah. yeah, it's powerful, and it made me appreciate classic rock, too. I was, sure. dude, I was listening to gangster rap. I was listening, you know, I, e, E-40, I, NWA, you know, Bone Thugs and Harmony, and then all of a sudden, Pink Floyd, and I'm like, what is this? What yeah. am I, oh, and then I was I was amazed that I, that I could actually enjoy something from that era, and it was all thanks to my dad. My dad, classic rock influence all the way, uh, cool. and, you know, it's not really too surprising to find a pink floyd tape in his uh in his glove compartment but either way pop that in and that's that had a tremendous effect on my at least what i've enjoyed musically uh since then cool. now let's let's head into college mm-hmm. uh, it's my second year first or second year i think it might even be my first year first year of college and i'm you're making friends left and right new people new experiences uh, a friend of mine brings over an album, and he's like, "You like Aliens, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of, uh, of Aliens. I like X Files." He's like, "Okay, well check this band out." And he lays this he lays this album in front of me, well CD. And he's like, "Give this a listen. You might dig it." And here it was, Clutch, self-titled album, Clutch. Okay. Uh, and getting that getting that album and listening to it. I, I I was amazed at what I was hearing. I was like, there are people that sing about this stuff, and they they're they're a stoner rock band. Probably is the best way to uh, describe <laughs> them back then. But uh, I chose Clutch's Big News One, which was the first song off of that track. Now, I will tell you the the biggest, most I guess impactful, uh, I, I guess instant with mm-hmm. with me getting that song and listening to it and listening to that band and becoming a fan of that band really set me on the path of where I am today. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if Mark knows this, but Mark and I, you know, we, we, we podcasted a lot, uh, metal hammer of doom. Like I said, we've done source material a lot and I don't know if I've ever told him this. I'm sure he's probably figured it out. But when I first was getting into podcasting or at least thinking about it, mm-hmm. 
Mark was the guy that gave me kind of like my shot, gave me the opportunity to be on the network, do a comic show, blah, blah, blah. I won't bother you. That was, by the way, six years ago. Uh, <laughs> but he says he's doing he's doing a show with a guy he's doing the metal hammer of doom and they do a clutch retrospective and i find out that mark is a huge fan of clutch just mm-hmm. like i am and i'm like oh my gosh you know this is meant to be and, and I, I immediately of course you can probably shouldn't base a lot of like musical similarities on if you're going to like a person, but I enjoyed what the <laughs> network was putting out there. And I thought, well, sure. this smart guy he ain't such a bad dude. I'll, you know, and, and he likes clutch. Uh, and so we became friends off of that. And to this day, obviously where I'm at right now, podcasting wise, never would have been there if it wasn't for the fact that my friend from college handed me the clutch CD that That's I heard. Awesome. So clutch big news one. All right. Now slide into the next decade. We're at track. What? Seven, seven track seven. So we're going into the twenties. Now I'm newly married, got married in 1998. Mm -hmm. So I I thought to myself, what is the best song that kind of encapsulates my married life at that young age between 20 and 30? And I came up with Colin Ray's That's My Story. So if you're a country fan, you probably know who Colin Ray is. That's My Story, and I'm sticking to it as a song about marriage and this guy who's just trying to – this didn't exactly represent me. But you know, he, he's continuing to tell these little fibs to his wife, and his wife can completely see right through him until mm-hmm. finally the last verse he confesses, okay, look, I was out – playing cards all night <laughs> i'm sorry please forgive me next time hey how about we get a cell phone that way you can keep in touch and you know that 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 is probably the best representation of what i could pick plus me and my wife are both colin ray fans mm-hmm. one of the few things that we actually have in common uh so that's my story by colin ray very cool track eight you're gonna you're gonna like this one she in <clears throat> let's see let's just see do you know it by the title Across the Nation? Okay, that's fine. You don't have to. How about by the band Union, The Union Underground? No. Okay, all right. I want you to go back to 2002 and I want you to put mm-hmm. on an episode of Raw and listen to the theme song. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I became a wrestling fan in probably. uh, I'd say 90 when when I hit college, I was into wrestling before then, but I didn't get back into it until shortly after the NWO showed up and Mm. I'm sitting there in college and some guys like, look at this, watch this with me. And we became friends and watched it. Well, as I progressed into my twenties, I get married every Monday. It was me and two of my best friends going over to their house or my house. And we're watching raw and we're watching WCW. Uh, So I picked, Probably one of the more famous raw intro songs. For uh, sure. That, uh, just to kind of get across my affinity for wrestling. Now, nowadays, you know, hey, that was my 20s and 30s. Nowadays, I'm kind of, I uh, step back a little bit from enjoying <laughs> wrestling. We full, we full step back from enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard <laughs> the podcast, Ian. Heard, uh, all right. So we get into 30 through 42. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting into track nine. Track nine. At this point in my life, I am a father of three. Mm. Uh, So 
and in my 30s in 2010 so I'm what 32 I think at that point in 2010 my second child is just being born and then in 2013 my my third child is being born so I wanted to pick something that kind of represented life with kids sure <laughs> uh if you're uh, and going back to country I'm going with Lone Star mm-hmm. uh and they do a song called My Front Porch Looking In and it's essentially about a guy who loves where he's living. He's, you know, out on his porch and he loves looking out amongst the hills and everything. But the most fabulous view he could enjoy is the one looking through his own window, seeing his family, uh, you know, have fun and be thankful for the fact that he is a member of that family. Sure. So that's that's. My Front Porch Looking In by Lone Star. All right. All right. Now, we're going to end it on a a bit of a sad note. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, this is a this is a fun segment. Do not get me wrong. This is an absolutely fun segment. Uh, But I took it up to 42 uh, last year. Right after I turned 41, I lost my dad Mm -hmm. and I was actually on a podcast with Mark when we got the call. and, you know, there was a call and I was like, who in the world is calling me? And here it was somebody that uh, was it was my stepsister and mm-hmm. she was calling me saying, you need to get to the hospital right now. So when when you lose a parent, this is the first one I'd ever lost. Uh, I, and, you know, I was his only son. I had to. I had to come up with a song at his funeral for the CD that was made that shared a lot of memories. Okay. Uh, and the one thing that you've heard me mention about my dad, classic rock influence. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I was like, I got, I got to write a, I got to write a good eulogy. I've got to write, I've got to come up with a song or three songs that describe this man in about 10 minutes. And Leonard Skinner's Simple Man is probably the song that describes my dad the best. Uh, and when you're talking about a soundtrack to your life, you're picking out the moments, you're picking out the things that make you the happiest, the things that define you the most. And unfortunately, this one's going to end with the song that played over and over at my dad's funeral, and that's Leonard Skinner's Simple Man. So there it is. It ends on a, it ends on a sad note. I, I I almost thought I couldn't make it through without crying on that one. I made it through. <laughs> but, uh, oh, as soon as you said that, I thought I was going to lose it. Oh <laughs> man. Uh yeah, it, it was. You know, you you can't end everything happy. It's so. I was going through this and I'm like, should I leave this on here? Should I leave it on here? But you, if you're, I, I was like, I got to stick to the parameters. This is stuff that has to be defining for your life. So there it is, mm-hmm. tenth track, ten tracks. That was a lot of fun. It's a very, very challenging, and it's a very, very fun uh, exercise to Agreed. to try to do this. It's I've been working on it for for a couple of months now, and uh, it's it's it takes you some places. Oh, it does. Um, because it really does. Uh, yeah, because I mean, we are we are defined by our successes, and we are defined by our hardships and uh, the things we've. The things we fought through, um, you just you don't know what's going to leave the impression on you. 
Mm-hmm. And um, no, I think your list is is just phenomenal. I love the way you did it, and it really gives a, 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 a such a wonderful insight to your life here. And and it's not just the last song that that got me. The one before that about the the front porch. Uh, that that's <laughs> uh, <God> I, damn. That's. <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah, it's funny because I was trying to remember what that song was, and I knew I said, Mindy, this is my wife, I said, you help me figure out this song. <laughs> I know what it is, and within seconds, she got it. She was like, "Here it is." I was like, "Okay, that's exactly what it is. That's the one that's going there." Um, that's awesome. So I can't wait to hear what everybody else's is. I really can't. It's going to be a lot of fun. How many Mark picked? Did he pick ten or did he go over he to like 10. twenty or thirty? That would be Mark. <laughs> he when I told because I told Mark about this is a little bit of a spoiler for another segment here. Um, Mark is doing the uh, Ghost Rider Wolverine Punisher uh, one shot with me, and right before we started recording, I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this bit about a soundtrack to your life." I said, "Would you be interested?" And it, before I could even stop, he's like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> and he's yep. he's like he's like what's my time limit i'm like you don't got one he's like okay <laughs> so. I, I i talk to him every day but i'm not asking him until i hear this episode what it is because oh, it's, uh, it's it, i can't i just want to hear what uh, what surprises await me on his list and everybody else's too it's going to be it's going to be a lot of uh, just fun to listen to everybody's uh, everybody's picks it's very, very diverse. Um, there are things you never expect to hear. Uh, there are some things that you would expect to hear, but uh, there is uh, there's a lot of good stuff here. And it's um, doing this with with all the hosts here is just it's just another way to uh, to, to flesh us out as people yeah, and connect. To, oh, it's and it's wonderful because uh, like I, I'm uh, you know there are songs that I've picked that other people have picked and there are some du- duplicates in here and it's I can't, be, yeah that's that's one thing I was wanting to see I was like I can't wait yeah. to see what pops up on other people's lists that yep. would be cool and hearing the stories that like how you relate to one song and how someone else relates to that same song and uh, you know it's that whole you know we're we're you know we're all looking up to the sky and we're, we're all looking at the same moon you know it's just from a different angle it's 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 very very fun and it's a uh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure that uh to do this with folks uh it's it's a really really good time but uh speaking of time i think that's all the time we have for this segment so <laughs> do you have anything you want to leave them with uh you know i mentioned our show over on the rattlech and broadcasting network the one show mm. that i'm that i'm sticking with uh right now which is the uh, metal hammer of doom so if anybody gets the opportunity to head over to the metal excuse me the rattlech and broadcasting network and and check out the metal hammer of doom i'm over there we just that's talked usually about, wednesdays right that's right mm. uh we just talked about one of the most epic power metal story concept albums that I've ever had the chance to listen to, and that's Unleash the Archer's Abyss, which is actually a sequel to their first album, Apex. And if you want some fantastic storytelling that is in power metal form, it is one thing to – it's just amazing. Go check out the album. Check out our review. Had a great time with Mark talking about it. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, uh, at some point, the essentiality may wear off, and I may be able to come back and do source material for quite a while. But until then – Thank you, Mr. Sheehan, for stepping in. Oh, it's been my pleasure and privilege. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. It's helped give me a little bit of direction in a time where I very much needed it. Um, so definitely, it's a, it's as helpful to me as it is to anybody else who might think it's helpful. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, 
that'll be all we've got for Excalibur this time out. I definitely want to thank Jesse for hanging out and for his patience, his extreme patience, for, for as long as it took me to get my feet back under me for this. Um, and uh, I will send it to something silly and then to the next segment. No place to run, no place to run. The mutant has now begun. 